Welcome to Blog Talk Radio <laughs> in high fidelity. Isn't that cool? Welcome to Male Military Spouse Radio Show, brought to you in part by the Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement and by Armed Forces Insurance. Here's your host, Dave Edder. Alrighty, we are here. We're ready to rock and roll. And I got with me Doug Nordman, the author of the Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement. We're going to talk um, a little bit about the finances of a military life uh, with re- with regards to blended retirement that's coming up we're in that we're no longer in that that uh, grace period where you can have one or the other everybody's having to go to the blended but you've got until the end of the year but we're going to talk about what that means because it's tax time and I did a little bit I did my taxes just the other day and you know get back a, a decent a pretty decent um, refund, and I'm not sure, sure where that money comes from because sure didn't pay into it. But anyway, uh, it's pretty decent, pretty decent refund coming back. And we were we were chatting the other day about uh, the the thrift safe plan. And so while I was, you know, I was I had the wife's ID card, and you know, I've got my little cat card reader, the computer access card reader. Uh, if you haven't got one for your computer, by all means, get one. I'm not calling any kind of brands out, but these are available at the exchange on base, uh, SCR 3310s. They're really handy. They plug right into your USB. Uh, if you're running like a Windows 10, it automatically recognizes it. I believe it recognizes it immediately on uh, the iOS for uh, the Macintosh and for any Apple product. So as long as you can plug it into USB, you can read your wife's CAC card. And so I go in there and I'm checking, I'm grabbing a, a year's worth of LESs. I said, I'm, I'm way behind on that. I print it to PDF and thus I can save them onto my hard drive. Uh, I, I check out what her, how her pay distributions are going. And then I looked over on the TSP where you get the thrift savings plan, where you get to change your percentages. And because we had been discussing this the day, a couple of days ago, I'm looking at that and I'm saying to myself, we have a COLA of roughly 4%. And that COLA is, is like a raise, kind of. But I'm looking at my Roth TSP, and my Roth TSP says 1%. And I'm, I'm thinking, why is it only 1%? I'm, if, if COLA is a raise of 4%, why don't I just up my TSP by another 4%? So, Excellent. Or, no, or, or uh, it worked around somewhere like that. And then I started looking at it going, no, wait a minute. How much is that? How much is that per month? Hmm. You know what? I should just boost it up to this. So I boosted it up to 15%. So I got 15% going into the Roth TSP. I've got the 1% going into the standard TSP. 
which I think you're required to do. But we'll go into that a little bit later into the show because Doug will tell us all about this and his cool stuff. And I'm telling you what, Doug's an expert. Doug, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Boy, with that kind of an intro, I'm going to have a hard time living up to the hype. <laughs> well, you do that while I'm drinking beer, okay? Oh, yeah, no problem. I'll, uh, I'll let you know when it's your turn again. <laughs> uh, so where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the blended retirement, or do you want to start with TSPs, or do you want to talk well, let me, about let me start uh, with uh, Let me start with Thrift Savings Plan first. Uh, congratulations on boosting up to 15%. That's a big move, but uh, I bet uh, you and your spouse will hardly even notice the, uh, the money going in there at all, and your lifestyle probably won't change a bit, but you'll be saving for retirement. And even though the fact that it's, she's not going to be staying in for the full 20 because, well, if she retire, if she goes in for the full 20, then she's getting out at retirement age. So there you go. We wanna, we're not sure we want to quite do that. We want probably going to get out and then continue her federal uh, federal time with, you know, like with the, the reserves or maybe picking up a DOD job that offers the opportunity to collect the same, to, to collect the years, but we don't yeah. know how that's yeah. going to work. Hey, she's got skills and she can find employment just about anywhere and you two will never go hungry again. So uh, stay on active duty as long as you're feeling challenged and fulfilled and uh, they're sending you to places that have great craft beer. And then uh, when you've had enough and the fun stops, uh, go to the reserves. Yay, Germany. Yeah. <laughs> So well, what do you want to talk about on taxes? It sounds like you're way ahead of uh, taxes this year than I am. I've uh, I've got to do uh, both my tax returns with my wife and myself, and uh, as well as my father's tax returns. So I was going to get started on my father's tax returns this weekend. They're pretty straightforward. Right. I'm, I, I make use of the. I've been for years been making use of the one of the online systems for doing taxes. Yeah. Because I have my favorite tax program. I mean, it's not necessarily program, but who I like doing my taxes. And it's a software package I used to buy at the software stores, but now it's available online without having to go run down to the store and buy the latest edition. Um, so I make use of that. And in return, because the wife is active duty, it costs us nothing to use that service. And so I have no fees and get maximum returns, I think. That's a great deal. I think my daughter's using the same thing for her tax returns because she's on active duty and uh, it's a lot easier to work through the menus and answer the questions and she knows where to call if she's got any questions she can't figure out on her own. I did come across a question, though, that confused me and it messed me up. And I did it wrong. Uh oh, there's a portion in there where it asks you. It asks you if you are if you have been in the United States for a minimum of six months. Now we are stationed overseas, and it doesn't give you any heads up ahead of time that it's going to give you an exception because you're military family. It just asks you point blank: Have you been? Have you resided in the United States for a minimum of six months? Okay. And we've been here overseas here in Germany for a year and a half. And I said, no. And it took away my earned income credit. <laughs> and I'm 
like, well, okay, that's not a big deal, I guess. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in paying taxes. I believe that, that citizenship requires some sort of a, a sacrifice somewhere. And, you know, in order to have any kind of government to take care of my roads and to take care of, of paying my, my, my policemen and my, my teachers, I will pay taxes. So I have no problem with doing that, but it took away a couple grand. And so oh, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, well, what a bummer. So I went ahead and filed. I still have, have, have stuff coming back. And then when the wife comes home, I tell her, well, get the taxes, but uh, you know, we, 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 we're only getting back this little tiny amount. Well, not really little tiny, but it's little tiny in comparison. And she said, oh, that can't be right. So she went to work and told somebody and they went, oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. That's why you take it to a, a professional. You don't rely on those online services. You don't rely on a box. You take it to a professional because they know those answers and you are military and there's an exemption to that. Oh, crap. I've already filed. So I'd sent out an amendment and sure enough, oh, I changed that. I changed that one thing to say yes. And then it asks whether or not anybody was military and then it said it didn't matter. And, it, and so it gives it all back to me. <laughs> oh, oh, now I have to, but, but the hard part is the hard part. And that's why I want to put this out for people to hear and to know if you are overseas military say you lived in the united states because it's going to ask you to explain why you say that because your address obviously is not and you'll have the option of saying military because my amended tax forms are sitting in my on my desk right here right now waiting for me to put a, 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 a label and a stamp on it because i have to mail those in you cannot do amendment amended returns by electronic means interesting i'll be i'll be getting that small amount here in you know a couple of days but i'm not going to get the amended portion the additional two thousand that it, that the earned income gives me for another eight weeks after Ouch. they receive it and they're going to mail me a check instead of electronic transfer. I guess the good news is you're going to get paid $2,000 to send the letter. Yeah, that's why, that's why I'm looking at it. But what I want to tell people is, to, you know, do it. Just say, yeah, I lived in the United States because APOs and AFOs are U.S. addresses. Yes, you lived in yeah. the United States of America because uh, most of your day is done on base. Well, that's yes. that's good to know. And I know the earned income tax credit is a big deal until you're a fairly senior in the military. I think it's probably uh, something that's within the income of everybody up to the rank of E6 and maybe even O2 or O3. Yeah, it could be. I, I don't know the don't know the details on that yet. It, uh, it takes a long time for income to rise above the maximum limit for the uh, tax credit. And so you take it every oh, right, chance you get. Right, right, right. Gotcha. I understand that now. That makes sense. 
So, yeah, that, that was that was a, a big wide open eye opener Ouch. right there. And I and I tried, I tried for fun because I could. I tried the itemizing. And oh. Now, until I mean, it's okay to, and that's why I like doing it online or using, you know, the the, the tech softwares, because you can mm -hmm. step away anytime, and then pick up where you left <laughs> off. You don't have to collect all your paperwork up and then make an appointment, come back, type stuff. I, I absolutely um, cannot sit down with somebody and fill out a tax return on their machine anymore. I have to spend 20 minutes a day over two or three weeks. Yeah. So itemizing, until you, until you have a lot to itemize, itemizing is not going to work. But you got to keep trying because each year you might end up with a little bit more and a little bit more. And you really won't know until you do it before you find out whether you've tipped the scale and have done more than the standard deduction. Oh, yeah. And I think the married filing jointly standard deduction is now up to $12,600. It's a pretty high amount. And you practically have yeah. to have a, a home mortgage before you spend enough in uh, other deductible expenses. Yep. That or that or um, uh, hospital stays where you're actually paying out of pocket. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that'll add up fast too, won't it? Yeah. Actually, the, uh, and that's good because that's a way people may not realize it, but that, I, I'm not, I don't know for a fact, but it's an observation that, you know, the government claims that they cover you, you know, affordable care, blah, 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 however you want to call it. Um, maybe that's how they're planning on doing it is you go ahead and pay out of pocket so that you're broke and living off of ramen <laughs> and then come tax time, they'll give it all back to you. If, you, so you if you're still there at tax time. Yeah. And that, that way you can blow it on a Cadillac again. <laughs> Jeez, we uh, we've been paying our mortgages long enough now that we barely paid uh, ten or eleven thousand dollars worth of interest. This is in a Hawaii mortgage on a Hawaii house, so that's why there's a lot of interest. And uh, it's time to start thinking about whether or not we're going to be able to take the itemized deductions anymore. I don't know if we'll be able to do it this year or not, but we'll find out as soon as I get around to it. Well, you do solar, don't you? I do, and I've taken uh, all the tax credits for solar. We uh, put our array up in 2005 and took the credits over the next three or four years, and uh, we've used up all those. So now we, you know, the electric bill is down to $15 a month, but we have no longer have any federal or state tax credits for it. Oh no, I didn't know they were limited. I didn't know there was a, a finite amount. I thought it was, as long as you had it working and it working right, uh, you could take it. Oh, no, no complaints here. We uh, we did most of the labor ourselves and we bought used panels. And so we put a system together for at the time what would have been about half the retail price. And then of that half the retail price, about two thirds of the price of that was given back to us in state tax and federal tax credits. And so we spent about eight or nine thousand dollars to put together a system that back in 2005 would have cost thirty thousand dollars to put on the roof. And we've had free electricity for years. I mean, the payback on that five years of, of solar energy was uh, finished paying off by 2010. So we've effectively had free electricity for almost six and a half years now. Nice. No wonder you're rich. Well, it, it's, it's compared to the rest of the world. Everybody in America is rich. 
That's right. Financially independent. And the, the, the thing is to control the expenses you can and to minimize the, the routine expenses and, and get rid of where you think you're wasting money. So an electric bill for me is right there at the top of the things that I feel like I'm wasting money on. And it was cool to be able to do the, uh, the geeky solar photovoltaic array installation. It was a great project. And that's the kind of thing I enjoy doing, but it's not for everybody. You know, most of the people around here have uh, done it with a contractor and Hawaii has, you know, 350 days of sunshine. So Hawaii has the world's largest per capita use of photovoltaic power. So you can't take that on your taxes anymore. What a bummer. Not, not anymore, but what I can do is I can uh, add in more gear. Uh, and I've been thinking about that. I don't, I don't think we're going to do anything, but it's always tempting, uh, is adding in extra panels for recharging an electric vehicle. But our cars are running fine now. We don't drive them very much as it is. And adding in more panels to recharge an electric vehicle would mean I'd have to go out and buy an electric vehicle. And I think we'd only save, you know, six or seven or $800 a year on gasoline anyway. So it's a, it's a low return thing, but the next car that dies is going to get replaced with something that's probably more battery than gasoline engine. I get one that's all battery, like a Tesla. They drive well, themselves. Well, I, I, yeah, I like those. I like, it's very tempting. And, and I could see another 10 or 20 years that I would do that with a Tesla. It, uh, it kind of embarrasses me right now to think about rolling up to the beach with a roof rack on a Tesla with a longboard on it. But... Uh, <laughs> Those, I've, I've given a good hard look at them. I, I like the, oh yeah, they, they are. I've, I've had rides in, in them and, and they're amazing. I mean, you stomp on the accelerator and you're going to get flattened into the seat with the, uh, the acceleration. But yeah. the, uh, can't call it a gas pedal. You got to call it an accelerator. But the, uh, the Teslas are probably way more than I need. And I don't want to become a, a target for theft or, or for anything else when you see the car like that. But on the other hand, a Nissan Leaf around here is a very good car for this island. It's got, you know, 80 mile range. But on the other hand, everywhere I drive on the island is less than 80 miles. So that's no problem. Good idea. Wouldn't I like, I like the small Leafs and... You know, the, the interesting thing with the Nissan Leaf and probably the Tesla, too, is that you can uh, buy a feature where you have it connected to Wi-Fi. And if it's connected to Wi-Fi, that means you can sit there with your tablet or your mobile device and turn on the engine and turn on the air conditioning so the car is cool for you when you get down to the parking lot out of the building. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we really need that around here. <laughs> we can, can't roll down a window and drive for a couple of miles. No, no, because it's like, you know, it's too nice outside. Uh, Must have that canned air. I I, uh, I feel like I get a car and I'm comfortable with it and I get the seat adjusted just the way I want. And I really am resistant to upgrading and swapping out new cars. So I don't see myself buying a Tesla. But that, that's the next step in cutting our expenses. I'll tell you what has really made a difference in our house this year is uh, my, my spouse has uh, finally started looking at modern televisions we've been watching tv on a, a cathode ray tube you know an old panasonic that's 15 oh, years old i know oh I, I don't watch tv I, I watch an occasional video on a monitor or i watch something with her on tv once in a while when she wants me to look at like a documentary or something but i don't watch enough tv to make it worth having the latest and greatest in televisions until she uh looked at what's out there we we can tell that the analog cable signal here on the island is eventually going to go away in the next five years and we started looking sure around at uh, modern yeah. TVs so she's uh, she's got a LCD 
32 inch TV and it was amazing. We uh, took out the old TV, 15 year old cathode ray tube, 29 inch screen. It weighed 108 pounds. Mm-hmm. And we replaced mm-hmm. it with a 10 pound LCD TV that's the same screen mm-hmm. size. And the definition is much better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right Less now, energy. right now we're looking at the, whether or not she wants to stick with the digital uh, analog cable and upgrade to digital cable, or whether she wants to uh, completely cut the cord and just do it with Hulu and Netflix. And uh, she's she's working that experiment now. We'll see how it goes. Absolutely, cut cut the cord. Do it with Hulu and Netflix, and for that matter, go ahead and pick up like you know, pick up Cody, and then that way you've got everything is available. Everything, everything. And it's it's interesting watching how it sets up, and that that all seems very good. It seems very cheap, uh, and I think that if we uh, drop the analog cable and go to a digital signal or go completely cut the cable altogether we'll just have uh, uh cable internet coming in the house the total price that we'll be paying will be 50 60 dollars a month for internet and television instead of the yep. 95 now yep and you'll be so happy you will you will good to know People, people worry about their spending in retirement, but one of the first things you do in retirement is you have the time to sit down and look at your budget all over again and figure out exactly where you're spending your money and it's valuable to you and figure out exactly where you're wasting your money about things that aren't valuable to you anymore. And that, again, that just makes a big difference. Every, every few years, you know, we go back and look at what we're spending and think about whether or not it's something we still want to do. Now, it, uh, you've got to be curious. I, I'm really curious. You are a millionaire, and you have funds that are continually coming in. How do you do that? You mean, how are we uh, spending less than we have coming in? I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, if, if you're retired, your wife is retired, I'm you're not actively working in a nine to five job. You don't hold down a, a position other than, you know, a financial guru who is ready to answer questions to crazy goofballs like me on the radio. <laughs> where do you, where, how do you, I, I understand that, that when it's, it's far as there's, there's a lot of things that everybody's always heard ever since you were kids that, uh, penny pinching that a millionaire as or multimillionaires when they see a penny on the ground they pick it up because that goes into pocket do. It, yep. it does not it's not one of those things oh it's just you know that's a penny don't worry about it don't risk your back trying to reach down and pick it up it's only a penny well somebody that's financially savvy says ah a penny and picks it up and puts it in their pocket so the, the 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 moral behind that one is is to know where every cent you have goes. Oh yeah. And and you don't waste anything you don't have to waste. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I will happily round up for making a tip instead of finding out the exact fifteen percent, and that's all I tip. Um, I will go and, and and instead of you know I'm looking at something, and I know in this store it is ten cents more than the store three blocks away, but I'm not planning to go into that store three blocks away. So I pay the extra 10 cents. And I know that does not help me get to financial independence, (laughs) but do you do that? 
Well, no, we, we look at we look at overall quality of life. We don't sit there and, and reuse dental floss until the stuff is shredded. And, you know, I don't recycle toilet paper or any of the extreme uh, frugality aspects of financial independence, although we know how to do that and we could do that. We would rather have a better quality of life. And that's that's the main key is that you live the quality of life that is good for you. So you don't feel like you've crossed that line from frugality to deprivation. And, and as far as our spending goes in, in retirement and our financial independence, I've got the $42,000 a year coming in from the Navy. That's my military pension with its cost of living adjustment. And you, you and I know that TRICARE is cheap. And so I'm paying a little over $47 a month for health insurance for the family. Which and everything after that. Oh, yeah. No, that, that has been a big accelerator for financial independence. And when we... In 2002, when I retired, we looked at our spending and we were a little concerned about being able to handle our budget on that in, income for the pension and paying the mortgage on our, on our home. And we were a little concerned about expenses, but we knew we had a pretty good handle on it. And you just get better at that every year. You look at the expenses you have and you look at whether it's worth it to you, whether you feel like you're getting value for it. And if you are, then you keep doing it. You keep spending the money on it. But eventually, maybe something else comes along. Technology improves. The uh, the bandwidth gets better. Things get cheaper. For example, electronics. And you decide to upgrade because it makes sense, especially if you're going to spend less money after you upgrade. You know, there might be a payback of a few years. But if you get greater features and less cost, well, then it's, it's, it's essential to upgrade. So we keep looking at that every couple of years. And it's not a constant quest to reduce our spending as much as it is uh, uh, keeping an eye on things and looking at what's out there. Here's an example. Uh, I'm uh, in the project this month of reviewing our insurance expenses because we're insuring our personal residence. We're insuring a rental property. And then there's all the car insurance and liability insurance and umbrella insurance that goes with it. And I've been looking at this every few years for the last 20 years, like everybody does. And... This is the first year that USAA has actually had lower prices on insuring homes in Hawaii. We had a wow. close call of the hurricane about, well, yeah, we had a close call of the hurricane about 10 years ago. One came really close to the island of Oahu, and USA said uh, they've had too much concentration risk with homes on Oahu, and they were going to get out of the insurance market on Oahu for a while, which turned out to be almost a decade. Uh, they came back into the market about two or three years ago, but prices on the properties, uh, premiums were very high. And so we stuck with Armed Forces Insurance. But this month, USAA has given us quotes for a package deal with the homeowners insurance and rental property insurance, and cars and liability and umbrella insurance. And it's a couple hundred bucks a year less than what Armed Forces is charging us now. And if I have a choice, I'd rather they're both great companies. But if I have a choice, I'd rather concentrate it all with one big company with better customer service. And I'm thinking of going to USAA. So today and Monday, I'm going to start the phone calls to Armed Forces to say, here's the offer I have from USAA, and what can you do to make my premiums resemble what USAA is charging me? What can you do to keep me as a customer? I've been with Armed Forces for 30 years. What can you guys do for me? And, and we'll see. There, there might be a trade-off. They might start figuring out better ways to improve deductibles. Everybody has a little flexibility somewhere in the pricing. Maybe it'll make Absolutely. a difference. Maybe not. And they and they're in the they're, other thing they know when they're you, in competition with each other. So you know they're if they're smart, they're going to do their best to to gain your business. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and when I retired, we had my pension coming in. But when you are 
not going to work every day when you have your life back and, and, and you're looking at this as you're planning to become an empty nester yourself one day, you know that you'll have time back on your hands to review your budget, review your spending and figure out ways to do things that you want to do without having to spend more money on it or figure out ways to do the things you enjoy for less money. And so that mm -hmm. constantly goes on. When we, when we retired 15 years ago, we uh, knew we had enough. But what I did not expect was all the things out there that give you a chance to either earn more money or save money on the expenses you pay. And so, for example, our rental property when I retired was being lived in by my parents-in-law. And I, uh, I am a very firm believer now in not renting uh, your your rental property to family. But uh, what was not cash flowing back when my parents-in-law were living in it, and then when they eventually returned to the mainland and we were able to rent the rental property out to tenants that are here on the island, most of the time they're military tenants, uh, we've got some cash flow from the rental property. So in our retirement, our financial situation has actually gotten better because we're able to spend more time on things that we feel are important or that we enjoy doing. I'll give you another example. Uh, in the stock market, uh, we invested in a dividend fund that uh, pays dividends from the stocks they hold in the portfolio. And over the last 10 years that we've owned that fund, the uh, dividends have risen faster than inflation. So the share price has gone up because the companies are more valuable, but the dividends have also gone up faster than inflation because the companies are making money and paying out more in dividends. And that was not something I counted on when I retired, but it's been a pleasant surprise. Mm. Nice. It's now, all it's all part of diversification. It is, and and one day, one day, one day. Oh yeah, <laughs> well, it's going to happen sooner than you expect because we don't see the progress, we don't see the exponential curve starting to take off. You know, there's years of very yeah. slow growth, and then suddenly that that slope and that curve starts to get steeper, and a couple of years after that, you're there. And, and you know, that's that's a good segue into the thrift savings plan. And yep. how you can, with the blended retirement, uh, one of the things that the, the blended retirement that's now being offered for our military spouses, for our wives, and we need to make sure that they do, is if you've joined the military since, it was, if you have, if you joined with, joined from January 1st of this year, you are automatically in the new blended retirement plan. It, it kicks you, off in 2018. So if you join in 2017, you still have the option to be under the traditional high three system, but you can opt for the blended retirement system. Right. But it's, it doesn't make any sense to go with the high three. If you're only, if, if come January 1st, 2018, you have to be in the blended. The high Absolutely. Three goes totally away. agree. So the nice part about the high three, explain that to the listeners here, because it's a tough one to understand. Um, it's different from, it, it happened after I got out of the military, so I didn't know what the high three was. I just knew that when I got out, that the, the word was, you know, you had to go till you were 20, you, you were in for 20 years. And this is this is the way it was back in 80, back in 83, or back in 92, way back then. Um, you got out. <laughs> If you were if you were in for 20 years, you got half of your base pay for the rest of your life. If you were able to stay in for 30 years, you got three quarters of your base pay for the rest of your life. Obviously, it was better to stay till 30 because your pay grade, 
your pay amount was according to your pay grade and how many years you were in. You fit into a chart and it always grew every two years. You always made more yep. every two years. If you were stuck on one stuck on one rank, you could still it grew every two years. Yep. And if you made rank, it went it leaped in, in a significant amount. So if you went in for 20, you know, you're you're getting you're getting a certain amount of money that if you went for another 10 years, it's increasing laterally, but you're also going to gain rank at least once, if not twice, and it's going to increase vertically. So you've got much more pay. Plus, instead of only getting half, you get three quarters. So that made oh, yeah. great sense to stay in until you retired. And you retired because you were too old and long and tooth that they wanted to kick you out anyway. You don't look good. Great. <laughs> That was when well, I what was you, what you're describing you, there is the yeah that's the same pension system I retired under it's uh, the legacy system known as uh, final pay and there still are a few people on active duty today who will retire under yeah. final pay uh, a couple of them are uh, flag officers of course generals and admirals and a couple of them are reserve uh, officers mainly officers who stick around for 30 years or people that had broken service you know got out for years in the 80s or 90s and then got back in later but they were still under the old final pay system but uh, now the current system is high three and everybody understands that if you retire at a rank it's not so much the rank for an active duty retirement it's the final the highest three years of pay when you were on active duty regardless of what rank you were at uh, the people who still care about their final retirement rank are reservists and national guard because when they go into the pay tables at age 60 to start their pension, they still have to start at the rank at which they retired. But the whole changing mm -hmm. of the game in 2018 for the blended retirement system is intended to take care of people who might not go for 20 and who might not plan on retiring anyway. And that's the big advantage of the blended retirement system. So people that are on active duty today, some of them are grandfathered into the high three and don't have any option. The people that are grandfathered in the high three and have no option to change are the ones who joined the military before 2006. So if you join the military before 2006, before 1 January 2006, then you're under high three for your pension system and you cannot change the blended retirement system. But those people that are in the middle between 2006 and all the way up till uh, January 2018, those people have a choice of switching from the legacy high three over to the new blended retirement system. And part of the question is whether or not the money that you put into the thrift savings plan is going to make up for the reduced pension that you'll have under the blended retirement system. And that's not an easy question to answer. And it puts a lot more responsibility on saving for retirement on the service member instead of on the federal government. Now, I've, I've done the math and I've looked at the way that the Department of Defense sets aside money to pay military pensions. And believe me, the Department of Defense is thrilled with the blended retirement system because they put away a lot less money for pensions. They would much rather give a little bit of money to service members today in the matching thrift savings plan contribution to help a service member save for retirement than to have to put away money in these special purpose treasury revenue bonds that they currently have to do with the high three system. So the Department of Defense is getting their share of the savings out of this. Don't don't get me wrong. The Department of Defense does not necessarily have the service members' best interests at heart as long as they're making their goal of spending less money in the pension system. So everybody that opts in for the blended retirement system is saving the Department of Defense a little bit of money on having to pay a pension down the road. 
But the challenge is that everybody who opts for the blended retirement system has to put that money in a thrift savings plan to earn that match from the Department of Defense. If you don't contribute at least 5% of your pay into the thrift savings plan, either the Roth TSP or the traditional TSP, then you won't get the match from the government. And every civilian employee with a 401k understands that they have to contribute to their 401k to get the match from their employer. For the military service members, this is going to be a whole new learning experience, and people are going to have to remember to keep boosting their thrift savings plan contributions to get that percentage in there and make sure that they are getting that match. So if you do that, the theory is that if you get the full match from the Department of Defense in your thrift savings plan, then when you finally leave active duty, you'll have money from the federal government in your thrift savings plan. You'll have more money than you would have had under the high three system. And if you opted for the new retirement system, the blended retirement system, instead of the high three retirement system, if you were one of the one out of six people who stays around on active duty long enough to earn a pension, then the theory is that those thrift savings plan contributions would compound faster to give you more money than if you had the old high three pension. And that's where most of the debate and discussion is going is whether or not your matching contributions in your thrift savings plan will be worth more than the money you give up by switching from the high three pension to the blended retirement system pension. So and that brings to this month. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say this month, the Department of Defense is coming out with a calculator that will help you use different numbers and interest rates and assumptions to figure out whether you really will get more from the blended retirement system pension than you will from the high three pension. Right, right. So now that brings out an, an, an uh, brings up an interesting question. Then, what do they consider retirement, where they no longer now have to to honor this system or make the system work? Is it when you leave active duty, or can you go into the reserves or go into federal employment, where you know the the time in the, the in the reserves or the federal employ count towards total time in federal employ? Uh, for the purposes of retirement <clears throat> or for, for retirement oh, yeah. calculations, I should clarify that. So would, if you went with the blended three while you're active duty and then you went reserves or you went DOD, does it still keep going? That's all the same. Nothing's changed there. If let's, let's take a couple of scenarios because I get this question frequently. If you join the military and you're under the current high three pension plan, you'd have to serve for 20 years to get an active duty retirement. And it's called cliff vesting. And fewer than one out of six people actually stick around for 20 years. And so the idea behind a blended retirement system is that the person who does not stick around for 20 years, the five out of six people, will get some matching TSP contributions of a little more money in their retirement accounts than they would have had otherwise if they were under the high three pension plan. So that if they get out short of 20 years, if they totally leave active duty and don't join the guard or the reserve and become complete civilians, they'll still have those matching contributions compounding away for their retirement in their thrift savings plan. And now you're asking a question about the person who leaves active duty and starts a career in the reserves or the National Guard. And maybe that person also becomes a federal civil servant or joins the civil service in some states where you're eligible by your military service credit deposit. And that's still the same. Nothing's changed in that. There's still a calculation that uh, the Office of Personnel Management and the federal government goes through to tell you how much it would cost you to buy back your military service credit deposit. And you can spend that amount of money. You can purchase that amount of credit and that goes into your 
equivalent, your federal equivalent. It goes in the same thrift savings plan, but it goes in the federal version of the thrift savings plan. And it's compounding for your pension when you retire. And you can still continue your reserve or your guard career under the blended retirement system and still have contributions going into your military thrift savings plan account from your reserve or guard career at the same time. So all that's still the same and all that's still a very good deal. If you leave active duty and happen to find the dream bridge career that you want in the federal civil service, then buying your military service credit deposit is almost always an excellent deal. And, and there's ways to look at that and calculate that and figure out whether it works for you. I'm pretty familiar with those methods and I can give you some links here in email on uh, some other posts to read to figure out whether it's a good deal. But the answer almost always is yes, it's a good deal. Go ahead and do it. Cool. Cool. Cause that, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm looking this, like I said, the, the, the upcoming, upcoming, uh, opportunities are are it, it, with the TSPs working the way it is right now I just I'm liking what I'm seeing I'm liking what it sounds like and feels like oh yeah but I don't know the details I don't know how to look at the details that's why I, I, I count on being able to chat with you my friend because <laughs> well, happy to help it I know, I, I know I, it has I would say that it I would say the first spouse is thinking so about going to reserves or yeah, well, it's it's caused a lot of concern and a lot of people are going to want to do math. But if you don't think that your spouse is going to stay till retirement, then you don't even need to do the math. You just sign up for the blended retirement system because you know that you're going to get matching contributions in your thrift savings plan now. And so when you do leave active duty for the reserve or guard or for a civil service position, you'll still have that money compounding for you. And you would not have had that if you had stuck with a high three and then gotten out before 20. So I like now, the blended retirement these- system. Go ahead. When are they? When are they due to start matching the funds in the TSPs? The, the that's that's TSPs. supposed to kick off. That's a, that's a good question, and I'm I'm asking that question to the Department of Defense. I've got a a contact in the Department of Defense whose job is to explain the thrift savings plan matching contributions in the blended retirement system to all the bloggers and to all the leaders who are supposed to train everybody. Uh, the the thing that seems like it's going to have to happen is that people that want to have matching contributions start in January 2018 are probably going to have to sign up for the blended retirement system in October or November of this year. In other words, nine or 10 months away. And I'm asking that question at a seminar that's going on next week, and we'll figure out if that works or not. But you make a very good point is that if January 2018 rolls around and you have joined the military early enough to have two years of service, if you're in the military in 2015 or earlier, and you already have two years of service, then in January 2018, you could sign up for the blended retirement system and get those matching TSP contributions right away. But I think the thrift savings plan and DFAS are going to have to have you actually sign up in October or November so that they have enough time to reprogram the computers for you. So in reality, it's probably a good idea to sign up for the blended right now. If you know, As soon as they open it up. Yep. And and we want everybody to think about that now and do the math now so that they understand what the parameters are and how they feel about it. But my advice for everyone before you even pick up a pencil or a calculator, my advice is, do you feel lucky? Do you feel like you're going to go to 20 years? Do you feel like you're going to be challenged and fulfilled for a full 20-year career on active duty? And the, most people, the answer is no. And so if you're not going to stick around for 20 and you're eligible to take the blended retirement system, then you should. Yeah. 
And that, it, it, that's the, 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 the things that always catch me is, is the whens and the wheres. I, I like, I, I understand. I mean, I don't understand. I'll, I'm not going to tell anybody I understand when I clearly am not, because it's just not my realm, not my lane to learn, yep. to, to, to fully understand this stuff. But I do, the back of my head is always going, but there has to be a start time and there has to be an end time and there has to be a, a prep time. So the logistics of it are, are anybody can sign for for the blended retirement that you're aware of well the sign up isn't open yet is that is that the question you're asking yes basically i mean i i've because everybody's talking about it in all of yeah. the, the the publications and and they're taught they're doing classes on it and they're talking about it you know teaching the teaching our service members and telling them to be thinking seriously about making the change, but nobody's coming out and saying, go change it now. So right. I, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be on a, uh, on a, a conference. It's a blogger roundtable. It's going on next week. And uh, right. that's one of the questions we're going to have for the staff at the Department of Defense who are in charge of implementing the blender retirement system is, hey, when are you going to start selling tickets for this thing? And really, again, I think yeah. that has to be in October or November in order to have a matching funds show up in January. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but the Roth Thrift Savings Plan was implemented back in 2012. And when the Roth Thrift Savings Plan came out, it was delayed considerably over when they expected to have people sign up for it just because it, the computer systems yeah. are getting all that ready. Oh, my God, it took forever. And then when it finally showed up, I mean, it's like, you know. You, you, you should yep. log into your thrift savings plan at least once a quarter and take a look to yep. make sure that things are going the way they're supposed to, that, that you are, you're getting a return, that, that it's being plugged in where it's supposed to be. You should be at, you should have a, a clue by looking at the leave and earning statement as to how much is being, is going in to the TSPs. So you can sit there and you can, you can spitball it and come up with an idea how much it's supposed to have in there. You should log in, or I do, at least once a quarter to, to find out whether or not uh, uh, what I have. Uh, oh, yep. hey, look, I, I do believe somebody is walking up to the door. Let's see, do they ring the All doorbell? Right. Oh, they did ring the doorbell. Hey, good morning. Who's this? Morning, gentlemen. Calling from Guam. Oh, wow. it's Jay. Hi, Jay. It is. What, How you what time is it? The globe here. What time is it in Guam right now? Uh, it's almost four o'clock in the morning. It's at three forty-six. Ooh! Ow! Ow! I'm looking at nine thirty <laughs> at night right now. Or no, I'm sorry. Uh, quarter to seven right now. Whew. Wow! Uh, I appreciate you calling in so early, Jay. <laughs> Uh, my dog woke me up. She barked to go out, so I'm awake. I'm here. There you go. And I saw the. I did see that they posted this earlier, and I was planning on making it. I just didn't set my alarms or anything. <laughs> still, That's the joy. Still of, plenty of time. That's the joys of being able to download it as a podcast later. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you guys went over the the BRS, yes? 
we've, we've just started talking about it and we're probably about halfway through the discussion. You know, it's both uh, a question of whether you think you're going to stay for a full retirement, active duty retirement or reserve retirement, or whether you think you're going to leave the service short of 20 years of active duty. And then after that, there's the financial calculation on whether or not you'll make more money from having your money compounding away in a thrift savings plan. Right. Did anybody get a chance to look at that new app, the Navy Financial Literacy app? I've been trying to download that thing. It came out yesterday. <clears throat> the announcement went out yesterday, and I looked in the App Store uh, for Apple uh, equipment. I haven't been able to find it in there, so it's either overwhelmed with server requests or they took it down for a day or two to tweak something on it. I don't know what the issue is, but I'll look again for it today. I know people have found it, and I've seen screenshots from people who used it, so it's out there, but just doesn't show up for me. Yeah, like Jack, I remember seeing that in uh, Rob's post that Jack pulled it down. I tried looking for it yesterday as well, and it's not on Google Play at all. I don't have any Apple products, so I couldn't look at it in iTunes. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think I saw Jack's screenshot of that, and he has it downloaded already. So I'll try that again today. I, I figure it just takes a while to promulgate through the whole Apple ecosystem before we can all see it. Yeah, Tracer normally does pretty good uh, products. Because they did the e yeah. line as well. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, this is the, the beginning of being able to do all the training, all the learning that you need to do. Uh, I was telling Dave earlier that the Department of Defense is going to put out the calculator either this weekend or next week. They were, they've were they got in beta now. They're doing it with 500 people, putting it through its paces. So the calculator is going to come out any day now. It should be out. Yeah. And with the... the thing it's supposed to have all those calculators in it including uh, BH and all that kind of stuff as well as uh, retirement pay and things like that right right and again still the big question is are you gonna stick around for 20 years of active duty and if you're not absolutely confident you're gonna do that then it doesn't matter what the calculator says if you're not confident you're gonna stick around for a pension then you ought to take the blended retirement system and get matching thrift savings plan contributions now to take with you when you leave active duty right well well, yeah, that, that's for those people that actually started a couple of years ago, whereas like the yeah. ones that's just coming in now, they're at this straight BRS already. Yeah, the ones the ones who are coming in the military now, I would say that you have no idea whether you're going to do a full 20 years of active duty and you should take the blended retirement system. And after one January, it doesn't matter. You're automatically entered into it. Right. But you're right. The guys that joined in 2006, 2007, the ones who already have a few years of service and who might have limited time for uh, the smaller pension to let the thrift savings plan contributions compound, they got to sit down and do some math and figure out what they would have to do to do better under the blended retirement system. Right. And will it still be open for them to actually take the option of taking the BRS or staying with the high three? Yes, every, everybody who's joined in the military between 2006 and up to you know, the end of 2017, the end of this year, has the option of staying with the high three. They're, they're automatically grandfathered in if they choose to stay with the high three. The only people who are mandatorily put into the blended retirement system will join on 1 January 2018. So everybody on active duty today, they can stick with the, the high three if they want to. But it depends if you're the kind of person who invests aggressively in a thrift savings plan, you know, in the, in the L2050 fund, or if you invest in the CES and I fund, all, all equities. If you invest aggressively in a thrift savings plan, then if you 
get enough of the Department of Defense's matching contributions, you know, if you invest at least 5% of the thrift savings plan to get all the matching contributions, then my sense is that you will probably come out at least breaking even. You'll get a smaller pension from the blended retirement system, but you're invested aggressively in a thrift savings plan that will probably grow faster than taking the smaller pension from the blended retirement system. Hmm. Now, you said in 2006, right, was the beginning date or the cutoff date, if you will, that the grandfather did? Right. If you join the military before 2006, you'll have more than 12 years of service on 1st of January. And that was the cutoff, was people that had 12 years of service. I mean, even if you're already halfway through the service years that to, to make retirement mm -hmm. anyway. So wouldn't it just right. even better at 10 years, you should already start taking up the high three instead of looking at the BRF. Right. Unless something really wrong is going to happen. But even then. That it, well, I guess so, yeah. That's why I think, it's, I think it's why 2006 was, was listed there because anybody that joined before then, stick with the high right. three because high three is just going to be better. But between high yep. three, between the 2006 and the end of this year, the uh, anybody that, that joins during this period of time has the option of doing either. And of course, those that are, you know, that have, you know, like, like, if, 2006 through 2011 mm, you might want to stay with <laughs> i3 but it's where we really want to get that calculator out so we can see whether or not that is a smart option to make the switch because the possibility of making it to 20 is really good really it is i mean exactly face it, you get to 10 you look at it and you go i've done i've done 10 years of this 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 stuff i mean I kind of got a handle on it. I could do another 10. And so, and you know, it's a make or break. So, yeah, I can see why they let you do it for 12, you know, get 12 in and then then there's no longer an option. And so 2006 up until 2018. Yeah. Yeah. 2018 after that, it's strictly going to be the blended well, let me let me throw in one more factor that we all have to consider. That's uh, again, it's important in a calculator, and that's the continuation pay. And the proposal now is that at 12 years of service, active duty or reserves, anybody that uh, reaches 12 years and is willing to obligate for another four years can sign up for a continuation bonus. And it's still not clear to me how much that bonus is going to be. I've seen different numbers, like five or six months of base pay. And the idea is that if you sign up on active duty for the uh, four-year continuation pay, you'll get a fairly significant chunk of money, five or six months of basic pay, deposited in your thrift savings plan account. And so that right there accelerates you toward compounding to beat the smaller blended retirement system pension with more money in your thrift savings plan. But you do have to sign up that four-year obligation at 12 years of service. So another reason that, that the Department of Defense has come out with that cutoff of 1 January 2006 for people on active duty now is because those people that joined on 1 January 2006 would be eligible, you know, right away in 2018 to sign up for an additional four years and get that continuation pay. It's a, it's a multi-factor problem and the whole decision is whether or not you think you're really going to go to 20 years before you start looking at the numbers. Now, is that yeah. continuation pay under the BRS, or is it that's just continuation pay? It would be under the BRS. You would have to convert to the BRS and then sign up for the continuation pay, and then you would get the continuation pay deposit in your thrift savings plan account. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
there's still the traditional bonus programs, you know, still the traditional, you right. know, if you're a submariner, you could sign up for a bonus, an aviator in the Air Force or Navy could sign up for a bonus. Those programs will still be with us, but they'll have different obligations. Oh, hey, I don't mean to change the subject, but I'm glad you said that. That's something that's really surprised me. The They have now, even though there's there's been a, a freeze on uh, federal hiring, there has been they are they are increasing the amount of people being uh, brought into the, the the armed services so it's the, the hiring freeze has nothing to do with the military people they okay. do yeah. they have opened up again finally uh we there are reenlistment bonuses and there are sign-on bonuses good so bonuses are back for the military people. So now that brings up the interesting question. There are people that I know here at the in, in Launch Duel that are civilian employees <clears throat> that are DOD that were fixing to, or, or I should say, were fixing to come on board as DOD. They were shifting from active duty to DOD, but they're afraid that the hiring freeze means that the job offer that was slowly being worked is not going to happen and i do believe the answer to that and i'm just i'm i'm this is just an observation because i don't have any hard hard facts but this is an observation the sounds of what i was reading about how the military is going to continue to get support is if there are dod applications for support to the military those are not under freeze that huh. is what I think is happening. I don't have facts on that yet. I've been looking, but not really that hard, to try and find supporting uh, articles or documentation that says it is. But I'm anticipating that that is going to be something that will be showing up here shortly. I believe that's what the answer is going to be. There's there's hiring freezes uh, as far as you know new post postmen there's there's hiring freezes as to they're you know they've gotten rid of a number of things a number of uh positions in the federal government that were nothing really more than bloat and again that's that's a political observation the word bloat but realistically <laughs> realistically the way to look at it is since the current administration and the way the current congress is set up right now you're looking at conservative thinking occurs and it and what it will amount to is if it's a if it's a governmental job that can be handled by private industry then the governmental job will be eliminated to allow private industry to excel okay removing competition to that private industry so anything that you see happening uh that that a job gate being lost or a, a, a department being closed down, pretty sure there's something on the private sector that's already doing the very same thing, if not doing it better, because, well, the government works at its own speed. Yep. And it ain't quick. <laughs> so it might be better for us. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Good. Somebody's going to have to come out with an announcement pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that, but I just wanted to, to put that out there real quick. Hey, you mind if we take so sixty seconds? I need to play a couple of commercial spots here. All right. 
All righty, hey, we'll be right back. When I'm on base, I'm known as Staff Sergeant Cooper, but at home... Daddy! Hi, Dad. Daddy! Hi! I'm known as Dad, and I wouldn't have it any other way. We know home is at the heart of every military family. That's why we founded Armed Forces Insurance, to protect the property of our fellow servicemen and women. Call 1-800-633-2006 for a no-obligation auto, home, or renter quote, or visit www.afi.org. At Armed Forces Insurance, our mission is you. Is your current financial state keeping you up at night? Unsure how you can possibly save for retirement with such a tight budget? Well, one of today's sponsors is the Military Guide for Financial Independence and Retirement, written by Doug Nordman and is available through your local library or for purchase on Amazon. This book shows service members, veterans, and their families how to reach financial independence and retire on their terms and, in my opinion, should be required reading for all man spouses. There are no tricks or gimmicks, just thoughtful spending and a higher savings rate. Most military families can do this within 10 to 20 years, and a few have done it even faster. All of Doug's royalties are donated to military charities, so you know he's financially independent without your money. So, get your copy today from the library or buy one at Amazon. The Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement, written by Doug Nordman. Wow, speaking of Doug Nordman, that's who we have as a guest on our show today on Military Spouse Radio Show number 77, Doug Nordman. We're talking about finances and blended retirement and taxes. We also have as a call-in from Guam, and it's early morning there at the time of the recording of this year's podcast, Jay Howe, my usual co-host, but since he moved to Guam, it's kind of become a logistics nightmare to make this happen. Uh, we're chatting and we're trying to find out how to save you some money, how to help your family save some money. Gentlemen, great to have you. Good to be here. Great to be here. My son was listening in for a, a couple of minutes. He's sitting here right next to me. And we were and I was talking about the the uh, the fact that that our current administration is axing federal jobs and they're actually they're doing the hiring freeze. And he came up with a couple of of good um, articles that are in place that uh, one of them is from QZ. I put the links up in the chat room. I haven't had a chance to open them up and look at them, but a, a brief uh, statement on it says that the Trump's federal hiring freeze may, ki- may kill well-paying jobs for nurses, scientists, and engineers. So that I need to explore into that and find out because um another thing is that the there's a memo that and this is a quote from one of the articles in the second article says the memo exempts the military as well as positions deemed necessary to meet national security or public safety needs and it allows the director of office of personnel management to provide special exemptions as necessary so yep so uh, I'm looking at New York Times right here. At the very first paragraph of New York Times is telling you that uh, halting all hiring for all new existing positions except those in national security, public safety, and the military. And further down in the body of the article, it talks about uh, the action applies only to the civilian workforce in the executive branch, where he's talking about the, putting the freeze on and doing the waste, fraud, and abuse 
draining the swamp, if you will, is what he <laughs> puts it. <laughs> and it does not affect positions that require presidential appointment or members of the non-career senior executive service who are generally political appointees in the agencies. That will allow Mr. Trump to continue his political appointments during the next several months. So those things right, are safe right. from this hiring freeze. Thoughts, Doug? So if no, that all sounds good. I uh, I just uh, <laughs> don't know if uh, somebody is is going to be putting their whole future on uh, getting a job with the Department of Defense. I would hope that uh, if someone was coming up with a transition plan, that it would always take into account the fact that something like this would happen and have a, another plan for making it in, con in a civilian job as well as in the Department of Defense. Yeah, I've always I've always been of the the, the the mindset that working for you know, Department of Defense, fine, it's still a governmental job. Working for the government is just a, it, it's just another job. If, and, and it doesn't, you, you don't necessarily are going to be able to work for the government. You can get a job with anyone else. Sometimes the job pays more, but a lot of them are, are very exacting and very, very, you know, uh, specific, uh, skill set that's the word i was looking oh, yeah. for Specific skill sets and to get a job into those kind of positions is not easy to do this right now is just pure proving the fact that if there is any job that is not a guaranteed going to stick around forever job it's a governmental job because depends on your current administration as to whether or not that job stays or if it gets moved or anything else. It's crazy. Now, the question comes to is that the is DOD considered military job or not? Or are they actually specifically talking about like um, enlisting or um, commissioning or anything like that? I don't think they were talking about – I know that commissioning and – and enlisting is not touched at all by the hiring freeze because, right. there, because there is military. a direct exemption of military. As a matter of fact, one of the things that, that occurred on the at, right after the inauguration, they opened up the uh, recruiting, not quotas, because they don't right. use quotas anymore. It doesn't work. Um, and it, it probably worked great when before – we had a great way of communicating nowadays, like like the government does, but it's or I mean, like the like um, we do with the the internet and such. Technology allows us to communicate easily, so there's no need for quotas anymore. The um, but they they're now accepting more people. They're not turning them away, and we will get right. back to having uh, a flush military instead of you know the the, the skimpy skimpy trees <laughs> right but i mean okay so the question then becomes is the dod civilians that's supporting the military that's doing the support for the militaries like uh, at joint bases or at the colleges and things like that you know the war colleges and things like that are they considered Doubted. exempt or is it just purely military enlisted commission i doubt it i don't think that would count as as i don't think that would don't think it quite matched the litmus test of being essential to uh, national security, 
for public safety needs. There uh, actually are. But so I mean, right now the Navy handled, has uh, the Navy has 344,000 uh, personnel right now. More than half of matching personnel or civilians. Yeah, but I mean, it could restructure. One of the things I looked at when I first heard that they were going to to start doing this was a, a private security that man, manages the gates at our installations are now going to be replaced with, huh, honest to goodness, military people by your MPs. That would be great. They're going to have to start doing their job. That's their job. Yeah, exactly. That's their job. (laughs) That's their MOS. That's their rate, whatever you want to call it. Somebody can somebody can go go. Oh, oh! They're handling national security because they're keeping the keeping the bad guys off of the installations. No, they're not. They're a contractor that is that is doing a federal job. That's probably going to get axed because it's like, okay, you know what? I've got a whole platoon of MPs who sit around here uh, doing nothing more than, than than driving around looking for stray dogs. Let's put them on the gates, make them freeze their asses off, and asking you for your ID cards. <laughs> the one thing I didn't understand either was like the builders, you know, the CVs, the those people. That's their rate. That's their MOS, and they're contracting stuff out to build a pagoda or something, you know, that for the park or something. Like, are you serious? Why don't you just use the CVs? That's their job. That's what they're trained yeah. to do. Or use your National Guard unit that's a construction unit. Right. The builders, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's gonna that stuff's gonna get axed. They're gonna have to find themselves real jobs, you know, maybe building uh, roads. I don't know. I know that a couple of the CBs, like the reservists or the guys that are just hanging around, they did a project out in Hawaii when they're on downtime, and they helped build a dock, you know, because that's what they do. They know how to do it, and they came out, and they built a dock. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. They were doing their job, if you will. Sometimes that's just as much for training as it is for them to do their job is whether or not they can tackle that project and keep their people trained and proficient. Well, yeah, that, that's, that was the way I was looking at it was that, yeah, okay, you're sitting here, you're not doing anything, you're not being trained, you're just taking up taxpayer money. Why don't yep. we do stuff and, hey, let's, even if it's something small, it's still training or you could look at it as training. And that was a nice thing. Um, you know the Naval Mag out in EVA? Yeah. Yeah. Um, forget the name of that marina, but my friend docks there, and they came out and they repaired and put in a whole new dock. They ripped off the old floating dock and they put in a whole new one. <coughs> so that was pretty awesome. And and you know that the docks and the and the launching ramps around here are in desperate need of having that kind of stuff fixed up and uh, made available Absolutely. to more people. Yep. Yeah. So they came in and they did a, a training session, if you will. And then they put in a composite floating dock, and it works really, really well. It makes total sense. I just wonder if they worry about the liability or construction damage or somebody using it and feeling that uh, it wasn't properly put together. You know, in other words, having well, the military be liable for something that a civilian gets injured on. 
Well, it's uh, at the, the Yacht Club. That was part yeah. of the housing area for the military. Yeah, yeah, you're golden for that. That's no problem there, and nobody's taking any right. jobs away from any civilian contractors who could be building docks in, you know, Waianae or down at the Alawai. So, yeah, not a problem. The funny thing is that after they built the dock, uh, within a year later, that whole entire housing section was turned back over to the state. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay, the marina, which is still under, you know, um, the the yacht club jurisdiction, <laughs> is the only thing that's still kind of quasi-government, where everything else around it just turned back to civilian structures. I, I think we still struggle. It's been 20 years since they've uh, shut down uh, Naval Air Station Barber's Point, and uh, 20 years later, we're still trying to figure out what parts of it belong to the Navy and what parts of it belong to the federal government or the state government or have been turned over to uh, commercial activities. I wouldn't know. Yep, it's uh, it's not easy. It seems like it's uh, a very slow, gradual, deliberate process, and it's probably got another 10 years to go. So, Dave, what other burning tax questions did we have, or do we want to talk about the blended retirement system? I'm open to either one. Well, we were talking blended retirement more than we were taxes, because, I mean, I, I didn't notice anything doing the tax returns that, that were that important, but I did notice that uh, contrary, or I'm sorry, not contrary, but uh, fortunately for the military members, we had that, and thanks to Rob Asbeck for putting it out there, the the uh, chart that showed us when our W-2s were available, or the wife's W-2s oh, yeah. were available for download, because uh, it, it, you can't really do your taxes until you do that. I mean, you can take a look at that December LES and you can get most of those numbers right off of there. They reflect the same numbers, but you kind of got to be smarter than the average uh, radio personality to know how to transfer those in. So well, the, the thing that well. everybody has to watch out for is uh, whether or not the numbers that show up on your W-2 are what you put in your tax return, because the, the W-2 copy that you get is just one of the copies that's sent around to the various people, including the IRS. So even if your right. W-2 is wrong, you have to think about whether you want to fill in those numbers anyway and go with those numbers, and that way it's matched with the IRS's computer system, or you got to ask for a corrected W-2. Yeah which is not an easy thing to do when it comes to getting uh, uh, army pay to do anything like that. Yeah, not at all easy. I agree. It's uh, very difficult when you, the biggest challenge is for the person who retires in the previous year and is now doing their taxes because when they retire, they probably sold back some leave or they did a, a government sponsored move or they did a, you know, personally procured move and they did something that's going to change their W2 the, for that, tax year and so they have to make sure that that w-2 that comes through the next year when they're doing their taxes is correct now it, as far as military is concerned i kind of haven't seen anything like that but is there anything that as spouses that we should be trying to make sure we're having i mean let's just say we well like one of our favorite male spouses out there fritz he's a he's a sensing girl and so he, he, he sells Cincy. How do you report that on your income tax? Especially well, a as a military. That. What's that? 
there's a couple ways to do that. One of them is if you're selling some product to a, a business that's buying things from you or that's contracting with you and a business that hires you to do stuff like sell things for them uh, might put out what they call a 1099. And that's uh, just a miscellaneous income statement from a company. And companies are required to do that whenever you earn more than $600 in a year. So it's not unusual for people who are hired part-time to have to get a 1099 and track that down. And then Fritz's Sensi, uh, the money he earns from that, the revenue and the profits he earns from that, he has to report that. So he has to report what's left over after taking out deductions. And he's probably paying some self-employment tax as well. What about for somebody like me who's who runs this this podcast and I've got sponsors? Do I have to report what the sponsors have sent me? That's a, a gray area because the enforcement is expensive. And so you could hypothetically not report anything less than $600 and hypothetically not pay any taxes on it and hypothetically never have anybody chase you down and make you pay up. However, uh, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to report all the income you've earned, even if you haven't gotten a 1099 or uh, any other document for it. And so if you do get advertising money from the sponsors for your business, that's that's income. And so you'd have to report it. The other, the other side of that, though, is you might not actually have to pay taxes on it income. And the reason you might not have to pay taxes on it is because of all your expenses and other deductions that you can take off of the revenue you've earned. Uh, you might have to pay your self-employment tax, your social security tax. You still might have to pay that that fifteen uh, percent or whatever the number is for self-employment tax. But again, your deductions might eliminate any possibility that you'd have to pay taxes on the rest of it. Right. So that's probably why it would be a good idea to to go ahead and make use of a tax preparer to let them answer the questions and see whether or not they've got the right ideas. Absolutely. Or, or you could try just try test return on the, your tax program on your tax software, you know, run through the calculation as though you had earned a certain amount of money and see what it says and see how that works out. And then that way you you've run a, a tax return that you're not actually planning to file. You're just testing it out to see what the numbers look like. And I do this when I get some checks from the publisher for the royalties for my book. Uh, hypothetically, it's only a few hundred dollars and I could not report it. But on the other hand, the publisher sends out a 1099 to say, hey, I paid you some money for your book royalties, and he sends a copy of that to the IRS. So I do need to report that income to the IRS. When I do that, I pay the self-employment tax because that's what you do when you have self-employment income. But all the other deductions, expenses of running the site and having the books and everything else, I deduct that against the revenue that I get in royalties, and so I've never had to pay taxes on it. Right. Gotcha. So if you get the 1099 definitely put it in because they've yes. IRS has already got it. And and it's automatic matching. The computer at the IRS has that form and it's watching for it on your tax return. So if you send in a tax return, it doesn't have that. The IRS computer will automatically generate a query letter to ask you what's going on. No human being Those ever looks at it. Yes, right. They know you. Arr, government input. Arr, they're in they're interfering, inter interfering with me. Well, it's very, very efficient for taxpayers because you're automatically having a computer know that you had a certain amount of income and know that you need to pay income tax on it. So you might as well do it and nobody has to get in there and enforce it. Yeah. I mean, and, and if, 
the only time that it would become a, a hassle or a problem is if it starts to get starts to really cut into you know what <clears throat> if it puts you into a higher tax bracket if it if it starts uh, changing you from getting a refund to having to pay something because um, I do know that when I had the taxi business that it would tell me how much I had to the the tax software would tell me how much I was supposed to have paid into the Social Security and how much I was supposed to pay into um, Medicare and it would take those off of the tax refund right and I was still getting a refund it just wasn't near as big and like I've always right. said, it's I just don't understand where right. most of that money for the refund comes from because I sure didn't put it in. Somebody else did, and uh, and they're giving it to me. So you know, it's it's extra pay, and as long as it worked out for me, I didn't really care. But if it does start to do start to make a difference, then I guess I will start itemizing because then it should be able to balance it out. I know that realistically what you want to try and do at tax time is to end up with zero owed, zero return. But come on, we're greedy people. That's not going to happen. <laughs> greedy? No. No way. It's okay to avoid taxes. It's just not okay to evade taxes. Well, you know, there's... funny. It's like, you know, and I keep hearing these people saying, you know, all these multi-billionaires, they don't pay their taxes because they're billionaires. What are they wanting? They they wanting to retax what's already been taxed? That's just not fair. But in in general, I would say that if you if you have to pay taxes, it's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll buy that. Unless you've got a wife that spins you, spins everything. But hey, our wives are in the military. We know that don't happen. They don't have time. No. And if they did have time, they'd still be sleeping. That's right. Priorities. Right. Speaking of the wives in the military, with the raise of the two percent, how is that going to affect the tax brackets and stuff? Yeah, really. Now, would, that's a good question. I would say that anybody who's close to crossing over from one tax bracket to the next is not going to be affected very much by a 2.1% pay raise. If if you're you know at the top of the 15% tax bracket and you get a pay raise of, say, $200 a month and it pushes you up into the 25% tax bracket, the only extra part of that income that's taxed at 25% is the part that goes above the top of the 15% bracket. So even if all of that extra income, that extra $200 is taxed at 25%, you're still only paying an extra $50 in taxes on that extra $200 in income. You're still ahead by $150. Hmm. Where I, where I would watch out for tax brackets is if you're selling stock that has appreciated or if you're selling a home that's appreciated in value. And if you're in the 15% income tax bracket, and then you have to pay capital gains on making a stock profit or selling your home. If you're in the 15% income tax bracket, then the capital gains tax rate is 0%. But if you're in the 25% income tax bracket, then the capital gains tax rate rises to 15%. And that's a big jump. You know, you pay zero capital gains. Yeah, and then you start paying 15%. Now, again, 
again, the thing that put you in there was taking profits and, and taking money. The federal government is trying to discourage you from selling appreciated shares of stock. And so now you've got a whole new complicated problem of tax management. Again, good problem to have, right? You're worried about minimizing the amount of taxes you have to pay. But if you're rebalancing your uh, investments and you're selling a lot of shares of one stock to buy shares of a different type of asset, then that could trigger extra taxes. Okay, what about uh, these families, these military families that have rental properties all across the United States and stuff? That, that is a challenge. And the challenge, well, first thing is if you've got a rental property, then you're going to have to pay tax on the rent you earn, but you also get to deduct a lot of the expenses. And so many times the net tax right. bill is zero. Um, and if you're a landlord and you sell that rental property, I, there's not too many people around here who made money on the sale of the, the rental property, although they still had to pay taxes on the depreciation that they took while the property was being rented out. And many times yep. that's a painful tax bill because you've been getting a little bit of money back every year that you took the depreciation. But now when you sell a place, the federal government wants 25% of that depreciation money back. And if you've been doing that for a long time, it's a fairly big amount of money. And then if you compound that by like say four properties, <laughs> that, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Now, again, if you're the kind of person who can save enough money and figure out how to get enough loans to acquire four rental properties, uh, these are all great problems to have. You're probably developing a business that's going to support you and get you to financial independence a lot faster. But yeah, it takes more than just your average uh, sharp pencil and a 1040 form to figure out the taxes on that. Yeah, there's a great group hey, of spouses that actually help with all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the military landlords group on Facebook is okay for the basics on that. And then there's plenty of uh, personal finance groups uh, across the country. One of the biggest ones is a, a website called Bigger Pockets. And that's uh, professional landlords, professional investors, and those people know all the uh, tax implications of buying and selling properties and how best to handle that. And, and that's been a big help when I've gone to financial conferences. Here's something that just came Suddenly. in. Well, kind of sort of just came in. It's about, about uh, an hour old, but Stars and Stripes is, uh, has an article out dealing with uh, the Pentagon policy uh, it's pushing the fact that uh, job performance is going to be key for civilians to be able to keep their jobs. So we might be able to see better results from our the, 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 the civilian contractors that are working for the, the military. Might so be a win. it's only the threat of being fired that's working here to motivate them, is that it? Yeah, sounds like. <laughs> oh, boy. Something's got to motivate them, right? Anyway, let's see. I just got something from. Um... No, I'm not going to ask that question. I I got a, a message from somebody that asked that, that that asked me over Messenger. They said, "What about tax on gray area currencies like cryptocurrencies, such as bitcoins and the like?" Um, yeah, I that's no, not interested in that one. That, that is a challenge because a lot of that is not reported to the federal government. The uh, the only issue is that if you're earning income, you're required to report that income. There's a law that says any income you earn has to be reported to the federal government, whether you get a tax form for it or not. And this is, you know, 80 years ago, this is what tripped up Al Capone is that he was not reporting the uh, 
income that he'd earned illegally and paying taxes on his illegal earnings. So that's why he went to prison. And that law is still in effect today. If you earn income from Bitcoin, even though nobody sends the IRS a form, you're still required to self-report what you've earned from Bitcoin and pay the taxes on it. Hmm. Well, how do you, I mean, Bitcoin, how do you even track what Bitcoin do? It, it would only be if you happen to buy and sell Bitcoin. You know, if you went out and had a computer that was creating Bitcoin, mining the Bitcoin for you, or if you uh, had bought Bitcoin and later sold it, then you would be required to report and take, pay taxes on it. But if you just go out and buy Bitcoin and hang on to it, nobody cares. Right. So it, it's where you have to be able to make a profit off of Bitcoin. Yes, then exactly you right. When you, when you sell at a profit. Now, if you're going to sell Bitcoin and you lose money and you start taking a large capital loss on Bitcoin, that might invite some scrutiny also. But again, it's a matter of keeping good records and making sure you understand what you bought and how much you paid and when you sold and how much you paid and got back from it. Well, hopefully that, that answers the question for our listener. Uh, obviously, they're listening. <laughs> That's pretty much I, I, I Again, I, I hope I hope they have a situation where they've been trading cryptocurrencies and have to look at a big tax bill because that means they've been a successful trader and they're earning money. Yeah, that would be good. That would be really good. Of course, I could never envision seeing that happen. It's, I've never had money. Well, I take that back. I lie. I have had money. <laughs> I've, I've done well in the past. <laughs> the, uh, the whole issue is, uh, is either lowering your expenses or raising your income or both you know it's uh, a lot easier to sometimes raise your income than it is to lower your expenses anymore it goes Jay, back do to you have uh, any questions? need versus want oh yes it does you're absolutely right whether that need today is uh, worth the things you're going to want in retirement hey jay since we've got yep. doug on the Dug on as a guest, where he's he's willing and able and wanting, or, or well, willing to ask or to answer any questions on finances. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to a burning question that maybe you'd be interested in asking him at this point? Well, I just actually asked him all the questions that I did have, like the the retirement system, the, the mm -hmm. properties, things like that. Uh, a lot of the things that we do get, well, our spouses get via the military, like BAH and things like that, they're not taxable. So th those things are kind of covered in self-explanatory, if you will. Yeah, I, I appreciate what Rob Ashback has said before about income for military is that all the way up to the rank of E6 and officer ranks, maybe O2 or even O3, is you're very lightly taxed. And so the fact that you actually have to pay any tax in the first place is a good in, a good thing. And, and, the, and then you're lightly taxed on to begin with. And that, that gets into what you were talking about, Dave, earlier when you talk about raising your contributions to your Roth thrift savings plan. You're in a tax bracket now where it makes more sense for you to pay your taxes on your income now and make a Roth TSP contribution or a Roth IRA contribution because that makes life a lot easier down the road when you do become of the age when you can make a withdrawal from a Roth TSP or a Roth IRA instead of having to worry about the tax on the traditional IRA or the traditional TSP. And it's been a hard thing to do is to try and try and earmark 
uh, income tax returns for something on the lines of savings for retirement because <laughs> we, you know, I, I've got the, I've got the luxury, if you will, of the fact that, that the wife and I have been together for 18 years. Mm-hmm. But we've only been in the military as a couple sent for, you know, five years. So what that we've moved from house to house in the past before, because, you know, we bought property and then moved into a place of our own. We've rented, uh, we've moved because we needed larger places. So we know the hassles of moving and we know, we know the hassles of, 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 you know, trying to get everything relocated, getting the, the, the trucks and all like that. Uh, with the military being able to move us, <clears throat> we know that that's a, that that actually as much of a headache as it is to PCS and having the government move you, it's still a blessing. It really, yeah. really. And anybody who's tried to do a personal move knows that very same thing that they'll never do it again. <laughs> but likewise you still need a large chunk of coin in your pocket whenever you move anytime, anywhere, because even though the government will reimburse you, they will give you your money back because there's a certain amount of money that they're going to be giving you. And you can look at it as repayment. You still, when you need the money, you need the money and you need it now. And so we've taken the income tax return and the and, and put it in our pocket and saved it for PCS, except for the years when you haven't done the PCS and then we pay off bills. But it's I'm a very good idea point, for uh, getting ready for an emergency fund too, is to put your tax refund in your emergency fund. Yes, and that and that's how we that the next one for next year when I do my taxes, that's going to go in my pocket because that's going to cover the the PCS in the middle of the year because we leave here somewhere in the middle of 2018. Man, it's hard to believe it's been that fast. Oh, I know. I know. And there's still so many places I have yet to see that I really want to see. You know, Blarney Stone, Stonehenge. I mean, I I did an an interview with somebody that asked that question uh, for being overseas. What would I say to somebody that says that they should go and do the overseas tours or promote having the overseas tours, having your spouse do accept the overseas tours. And the answer to that is yes. Oh, absolutely. Because you're going to be able to see things that, yeah, you can see it if you're stationed in the United States of America, or if you're not even in the military, but you're going to have to pay through the nose to get here to go do that. But if you're stationed here, it's, you know, it's a trip to the beach from, you know, uh, somewhere in the middle of Georgia down to Fernandina Beach. That's uh, an afternoon trip. Jump in the car, go do it. Yeah. Hey, for me, and you I'm can going do it in the train Paris. if you want. Yeah, for me, I'm going to Paris. I'd jump in the car and go to Paris. Fantastic. I want to go see Burns. I want to go see, I, I go see uh, somewhere in Switzerland. Uh, jump in the car, go do it. I want to run down to Italy. Uh, jump in the car. Well, it's going to take a day, but it, jump in the car, go do it. Uh, I want to go see Ireland. I, I drive to Frankfurt, jump on a plane that cost me $46 to go to <laughs> Ireland. Fantastic. Tell me how you're going to do that living in the States. 
Hey, I want to go see the north end of the island, jump in my car, go drive over there. Yeah. That's the beauty of living on a, a paradise in the middle of the Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> well, the nice thing about Guam is that I am so close to anything Asian as well as Australia. I jump on the plane and fly three hours. I'm in Japan. Oh, or fly back to Hawaii via the Space A. It's, it's there. Absolutely. Australia would be great. Jump down to Sydney and catch some of those great concerts. Well, we've, yeah, we've uh, already been to Australia, so that's kind of like the furthest from our mind. We're looking more towards Japan, Philippines, Singapore, Hong Kong, that kind of stuff versus going south. Yep. And it's all there in space A or military flights. And uh, we have the same thing coming out of Hickam, you know, a couple flights a week to Japan, a flight or two every month to Australia. It's uh, it's tempting. And one day we'll take it. Yeah. you, you you've, Jay, you've got like a $50 flight and you can go to Timbuktu. You can go to to all those places like like all the gin joices and gin joints in all the world. And she had to walk into mine. You can go visit that place <laughs> in Casablanca. Well, yeah, but it's not 50 bucks. Huh. Okay, 51. I know it's a couple hundred, actually. I mean, just oh, well, from hey. here to Cebu, it's like a 636. <clears throat> That's the cheapest flight you can get. Hey, it's better airlines, than 2,800 here. Oh, no, but see, if, if you're flying back home to Hawaii, that's uh, it's like flying from L.A. to Hawaii. Same prices, 1200 kind of thing. Like, oh my God. Man. And I, w- I will be in Hawaii later on, a um, couple of weeks from now. Oh, good. Well, you and Doug need to get together I'll be then. The, yeah, I'll be there on the 17th. I'll be in Oahu the 17th, the weekend of the 17th of February, the 17th, 18th, 19th. Well, if you have, if you have time uh, and you want to go surfing, I got an extra longboard. Uh, we might go to the oh. beach, but uh, we got several friends that we're gonna, and I got tons of family over there too. Yeah, that we're gonna go yeah. meet up with, and we're foodies, so you know we're gonna hit all our favorite food restaurants and gain about another twenty more pounds while I'm there. That's right, because <laughs> that's gonna last you for the rest of your tour. <laughs> that's right. So. You know, things like Zippies, Marks, uh, Dirty Lickens, 49er Diner, that kind of stuff. We're we just going to hit cold pancake house. We're going to hit every single one of those. Absolutely. Daily, three times, four times a day kind of thing, <laughs> like how we did the last time. Uh, yeah. So in, in 2012, before we left the West Coast to end up on the East Coast, we took a three-week vacation back to Hawaii. Uh-huh. As soon as we landed, the first thing we did was, since we landed about uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, first thing we did was shoot over to Zippy's. Next stop, Zippy's. I ate a zip meal, uh, you know, a zip pack of chili all by myself. Mm-hmm. I had a side of <laughs> two scoop rice, the whole entire thing. Then we went to dinner after. I ate again. I think it was at Mark's. <laughs> Woke up very next morning, went to Cold Pancake House. For lunch, we went to Dirty Lickens because we had to go eat their wings. And then for dinner, we ended up at like a 49er diner. Or, no, we ended up at, with a couple of our friends of ours at the cannery. And nice. then uh, the next day, we did, you know, and it was like a nonstop man versus food versus food versus food. The time they <laughs> left Oahu, I gained about maybe 10 pounds 
and I stayed two weeks on the Big Island with my folks. Oh, no. And mom and pop, they're just constantly, hey, yeah, what do you want to eat today? And they just start making all kinds, you know, food that you grew up with that you missed, beef stew, peanut fit, whatever. And they were just making all these things, and it was like nonstop. As soon as you wake up, oh, you're somebody sitting there at the dinner table <laughs> eating something like, oh, that looks good. And next thing you know, you're eating, and it's like uh-huh. nonstop snack, food, run the whole entire day. So, yeah, but it's the we left there to go to uh, Rhode Island. I gained uh, 22 pounds. Uh. I was like, oh, my God. Dave, I'm watching uh, places that are local here that are chains opening up on the mainland, like L&L Barbecue. They, they just announced they're opening up a uh, franchise in Jacksonville, Florida. And it's exactly because <laughs> of all the Hawaii expats looking for comfort food. Wow. I'm surprised they're not in Florida yet. I was surprised. I figured they were all over the, the coast of both sides of the United States, but apparently this is the first one on the East Coast. Yeah. Tommy. They actually have one over here in Guam. Well, it's of course in, they um, do. Coming in. But no, I don't know. I've never been there yet, so I can't say no right Hawaiian would go there. <laughs> okay. You have, you have to go there just to make sure they're doing it right and to see if it's worth going again. I don't know, because I went to the L&L up and down California coastline, and it's L&L. It's not the best Hawaiian food, you know? Right, right. Dave, my daughter still oh. misses uh, the comfort food she grew up with. You know, she's living in Norfolk, and it's not like the cuisine in Norfolk is very crappy. But on the other hand, she still makes uh, spam musubi and all the other childhood uh, favorite foods she grew up with. Ooh, you should deep fry it. Oh, yeah. Deep fry spam musubi, that's awesome. There's there's no. nothing healthy about comfort food. That's why they call it comfort food. Yeah, but it's spam. Come on. Well, you know, it's a, it's great hurricane food. You know, if you need it, if you need to yeah. party for uh, a couple of years, a couple of weeks without electricity, that's what spam is for. Yeah, and if anybody's listening to the podcast and does not understand, spam is the official <laughs> meat of Hawaii because there is no wildlife there on Hawaii of significant size to have as a meat source uh, other than fish. So spam it was. Well, we we do have a fairly fairly uh, good population of sheep and feral pigs, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with now. you that if uh, we had a dedicated hunt going on here, the pigs wouldn't last very long. <laughs> no, but if they want to hunt pig, they can come to Guam. They have a problem with pigs out here in Guam. Oh, good lord! Yes, hey, that's what you make spam out of. <laughs> that and snakes. If you want snake. I don't know if anybody ever tried to eat the brown tree snake. You know, if uh, if we turned those into a gourmet delicacy and it was only available at the finest restaurants on the United States, I'd think the uh, brown tree snake in Guam would be an endangered species within five years. You know, that's an interesting idea, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce this past you. We do that with rattlesnake in Arizona. We cook it, mm-hmm. and it's very very tasty. It is very tasty. So maybe the brown tree snake might be worth snagging a couple of them and seeing if you can't just go ahead and cut them up in the nugget size and 
and uh, bread them and deep fry them like you would a there chicken you go. nugget. I think you and should start spreading is, a rumor that they boost your testosterone levels too. Dude, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, brown treat. Eat brown treat. <laughs> Only the uh, other well, brown treat. <laughs> well, I meant the brown trouser snake. No, um, <laughs> well, what you call it? You, 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 you can say that. Over here, the, um, the, the, the brown tree snakes over here, they're under a, a eradication program by the USDA. So when you're a Navy base on the south side of the island, they're, they're far and in between the sea. Whereas on the north end of the island, they got a little bit more of a presence, but they huh. did uh, all kinds of crazy stuff out here to reduce its population, uh -huh. uh, like dropping mites out of helicopters that were, uh, you know, with uh, poison in them and things. It's just crazy stuff. They got cages all over the place on all ex existing standing fences and trees all around naval property. Uh -huh. That USDA will collect every morning. They'll go and check all these cages. They so did a huge eradication problem uh, thing on it. So if so they go that, along and they check them and they find out they're empty because you've already taken them to make a delicacy out of them, are they going to say anything? <laughs> no, because they won't know because I'll be checking the cages like now, 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Before they come up over here, right? Just leave a note. Go get you well, one. The thing about the brown tree snakes is that they're nocturnal. And USDA checks the cages like five, six o'clock in the morning because they got to go around to all the naval property. Uh. And it's like an all day job kind of thing. And then uh, on off days, they, they go down to the magazine. They say that they find more of the brown tree snake in the cages in like the magazine where there is no population of humans. You know, there's no people walking up and down all the time. The only people that are on the magazines are the ordnance guys, and they normally stay next to the buildings versus going out towards the tree line and stuff like that. So the snakes are finding rodents in the uh, ammunition storage areas, or are they just setting up their nests there and commuting for food? Yeah, okay, so what it is that the, in these cages, they actually have a, every single cage that they put up, which is like 4,000-something cages, probably more, every single cage has a live rat in it. Oh, Okay. And they, wow. they, they have to check the cage every single day to put in a potato that the rat can eat. Because uh, okay. if, if the rat dies, then the snake's not going to come by, right? Right. Unless very what small I do ones. find, yeah, it's, it's really small. It's uh, about a half dollar size. And the snake is not very large. Um, the largest snake that, that I've seen that the USDA actually had on hand was like a four-foot snake. Everything else on average is about maybe a little over two, almost three foot. Hmm. Oh, that's pretty big. Yeah, they're not very big. Um, they don't, they're not venomous either. They, it's a very mild venom, and their uh, fang to actually inject venom is way at the rear end of their mouth. So you get bit by a snake, it's not going to like kill you or anything. Uh, not unless they get a really good bite into you. I mean, they, they have to bite you and kind of climb their way up your arm in order to get it, you know, sink those fangs into you. Yeah. It's but, uh, like Gila monsters, Gila monsters are not that dangerous because they, they have, they have poison in their skin through all the little, the little bumps on their skin. 
but the, the 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 poison in their mouth is in their jaw. They grab a hold of you and they they grind their teeth to try and break your skin, and then they flip over, and so they're hanging onto you upside down just to get the poison into you. Gila monsters are not a problem, people. <laughs> you guys are selling the heck out of these uh, tourist destinations. Well, that's what I mean. The brown tree snake has, I wouldn't say it has been eradicated, but there is a program here in Guam that uh, is dealing with them. And yeah. I have yet to see a live, I keep checking the cages, I want to see a live one in the wild kind of thing, and there's nothing here. I guess it's working, finally. Well, it's, it's working on the south side. Um, yeah. What the USDA guys did say is that you find them more on the north end side, where they don't really patrol you know they do take care of that but since it's such a larger uh forced area it, it's hard to maintain i wonder how long it's going to take the bird populations to come back um it's actually slowly coming back uh we got more doves they introduced uh, several different species of, of birds here and it, oh. it's slowly coming back but the biggest population of bird that i see around here is chickens Oh yes, <laughs> lots chickens, man. chickens everywhere. Well, catch you a couple of them brown snakes and and cook them up, and then invite Guy Fieri over to your house and uh, see if he won't put it on one of his shows. Sounds like a win. Uh, that's funny. Or at least he teach you how to cook. I think Zimmerman better. What's that? He eats anything. He does. Uh, what's that? The Zimmer guy, he, he comes in and eats anything. <laughs> so, Dave, I'll, I'll take a, a work break here and, and talk about one of the subjects that we actually uh, began at the beginning of the podcast uh, about the blended retirement system. I mentioned that uh, blogger roundtable that's coming up with the Department of Defense next week, and it's going to be on uh, 31st of January. Well, it, I'll, I'll send you the, uh, the login information, and uh, they're starting it at 2 p.m. Eastern time, so I guess it kind of works for your time zone, and uh, you'd be able to, you know, be able to do it in the evening. Probably won't be longer than an hour, and uh, that will give you a chance to find out if they're going to have the signups open in October or November. Cool. That'd be good, because, I mean, I don't write anything yet, but I suppose I could. No, you're a podcaster. That's good enough. Uh, they want to put this out on social media of all types and make sure everybody knows about it. You know, God forbid everybody should have enough information to make an informed decision. <laughs> right? Absolutely. And whether or not it's informed on our show is a totally different story. Discussed, yeah. Well, we have about 10 minutes left. Uh, anybody got anything they want to say before we start wrapping this up? Putting a bow on it and sending it to the sending it to the meat packer? <laughs> no, uh, not, not really. Uh, looks like you guys covered several things before I got on, and uh, which is great. And taxes is pretty much uh, straightforward for the military side of things, uh, LES and things like that, unless you start doing things like Sensi or property well, owning and things like that. Then it becomes a little more complex. You know, now, now that you bring that up, that is true. You didn't catch what we were, what I, what we started out with on the show was 
I was, uh, and it's worth repeating. It's it really is. If you're doing your taxes with the online tax services, be prepared when you get to the earned income tax section. Check and read your screen. The the, the tax prepare the the, the tax software I use online. <clears throat> It's my favorite, and I've used them for close to 20 years now. I used to have to go buy the box at the, the computer store to, to put the latest version onto my computer. But now that it's online, I don't have to do that. I just log in, and it remembers, and it pulls everything up. It asks the question whether or not if you are overseas, if you have resided in the United States for six months. And I took that literally and I said no and it took away my earned income credit if you're in the military the military that the IRS considers you in the US just temporarily elsewhere and it's okay you say yes you've been in the United States that way you get to claim your your earned income credit don't do like I did I have to send in an amended form my original little tiny eeny weeny income tax refund that's coming in because I filed electronically and it's going to be automatically deposited into the checking account. Cool, that little tiny amounts coming in. But for the earned income part that I messed up on, I have to take the amended tax return and mail it to the US from Germany. And I have to they then will process it and cut me a check in six to eight weeks. And yes, they will cut a check, not deposited electronically into my bank that they have record of. No, they're going to cut a check and mail it to me. So God knows when I'm going to get the, the part I messed up on. So don't do it. Say yes, you've been in the U.S. for six months. And now, now we all know. Now you all know. And Guam is part of the United States as well, so we're good over here. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that is. you have a point there. That is a good point. Well, you don't have to worry about that, but if anybody's in Korea or Belgium Yakuska, or, Japan. yeah, any of the, any of the great places that, if you are in, if you're in a, um, an embassy, if your support, you know, your 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 wife is a Marine and she's working in support in an embassy and you get the opportunity to live in Timbuktu in the, at, next to the embassy, guess what? You're U.S. And say it, you're in the United States of America. Even though she's the one that works on sovereign U.S. soil, you live elsewhere. But say you live in the United States because you're a military family. I, uh, I still, even though it's a tremendous paperwork hassle you're going through, I still say it's uh, it's well worth the $2,000 because I don't think the IRS computers would catch that one on their own. They'd just take the money and run. I know. I know. That's exactly what they would do. Dirt bags. <laughs> I, I, it, it, you know, that brings up the interesting question. Is the IRS, is the income tax a legal tax? Because for years... It was, it wasn't, it was not, the way it was being handled was illegal, it wasn't something you had to pay, it was completely a voluntary tax, but I think it was 1982, 1983, that
that they made an amendment to the Constitution and made the IRS the income 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 tax is a legal tax. Yeah, I, I think so that loophole here. closed long ago. Yeah, it closed when Willie Nelson won. Oh, yep. They said, damn that dope-smoking fiend. Nope, not going to let him do that anymore. Took it away. <laughs> All righty, about five minutes left, guys. Should we go ahead and put a bow on it? If uh, we're out of content, I don't see why not. I don't have any more content. Do you, Jay? I have none. All right. You have none. Well, let's go ahead and call that a call of the day. We'll end the, end the episode now. I thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's always great to hear your voices. We're talking to Doug Nordman, the financial guru, who is the author of The Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement, and he's my sponsor for the show, and to Jay Howe, who is a, a spouse extraordinaire who teaches the Navy senior spouses a whole lot that they never knew that they needed to know. Thank you, Jay, for being here. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. You guys have a great Thanks, time, Dave. and we'll catch you guys the next time we do a show. Keep your eye out. We'll be. We'll let you know when it'll be. Uh, this is Dave. Good Crazy talking Dave to you, Dave.